Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of respective program contributors and cannot be assumed to serve as endorsements of products or views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. My name is Chris Bell, and I'm running for a seat on the board of directors of the American Council of the Blind. The reason I'm running is simple. I've been a member of ACB for over 40 years and have done a lot of advocacy work. And I want to make sure that the work that I have done and that others have done can continue after older members like myself are gone. And therefore, I have proposed that ACB create an academy to train younger members in the subject areas which are so critical for ACB to lead in the future. I ask for your vote. Thank you. Welcome to Speaking Out for the Blind. I'm Brian McCallan. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette reports that Rabbi Lenny Sarko is visually impaired, and he's also the creator of the Blind Torah. Here to talk about his visual impairment and the special Torah is Rabbi Lenny Sarko himself. Hello, Rabbi Lenny. Good afternoon. Shalom. Shalom to you, too. Tell us about yourself. Well, um, Rabbi is a uh, second career for me. I began as an uh, environmental scientist, but I've been a rabbi now for about 20 years. I serve as a congregational rabbi. Currently, uh, I lead a congregation in a place called Greensburg, Pennsylvania, which is a suburb of Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh, PA. Excellent. Um, what did you do as an environmental scientist? I heard you had to, you got to create many recycling systems for many American companies. Yeah, I specialized in developing and creating recycling systems for what's called inorganic hazardous waste streams. So if a company had uh, one of these streams of sorts, I could develop and have developed and actually patented um, systems that would, instead of throwing it out, could could end up reusing the materials in one way or another. That's fantastic. You did a lot of traveling too, and you got tired of it. You wanted to move into a new career, and this career is becoming a rabbi. That's How correct. How did you decide to become a rabbi? Well, even, even while I was a scientist, uh, uh, I often taught and helped lead services at various synagogues. Uh, that we belong to. So I was always involved in the Jewish world. Uh, it was just more of a sidelight than a direct light. And as I was beginning to think, uh, uh, you know, we were raising a family with my wife and wanted to be a little bit more in one location. Uh, and I really enjoyed it so much. It was really my wife who suggested, you're already doing so much of it. Why don't you just finish it and become a rabbi? And so uh, over a number of years, I did the studying uh, that was required for it, and I eventually became ordained. Hey, as the saying goes, follow your heart. Um, how did you become visually impaired? Uh, my visual impairments only began about six years ago. Uh, the doctors claim it was a result of type 2 diabetes, which caused bleeding in my eyes. Um, they were able to finally arrest the bleeding through shots in my eyes over some over about a month or so. Um, but the uh, bleeding that initially happened caused permanent damage. So I have about 
just about 20% left vision in, in one of my eyes. And I have about 80% in the others. So I'm really not considered blind. I'm considered visually impaired. I can't, I can't read with the one eye. I can read with the other. So I kind of have a foot in both worlds at this point. I see how having that foot in both worlds works. Um, you've led synagogues in Tampa, Columbus, Ohio, Indiana, and you finally make, moved to where you are now, Greensburg, Pennsylvania. You're a rabbi for Congregation Emmanuel Israel. Is that right? That is correct. That's how it's pronounced. Great. Uh, how did you speak out? to become a rabbi at all these synagogues, including the one where you are now. Yeah, and in Judaism, it's a little bit different than a lot of the other religions. The congregations actually work almost like a corporation where they do their own hiring and firing. So there's various ways that the synagogues um, advertise the openings, and you have to apply like in any other job and go in for various uh, interviews and go through a selection process, uh, and then they uh, hire you or not. And it was a good fit here in Greensburg, and so they decided to hire me, and uh, we decided to to move to this locale. So as a blind rabbi, Lenny, how do you read all the English and Hebrew text for each service that you lead? Well, again, a lot of the uh, prayers are are, you know, kind of known and redundant, but I can, again, see with the one eye as long as there's large print. And uh, so I can get by. You know, I don't have any real depth perception, so I'm not going to be playing baseball lately. <laughs> but uh, I can do enough to be able to do my job. Okay, Rabbi Lenny, as a blind rabbi, how do you read both the Hebrew and English text for each service that you lead at the synagogue? Well, again, I can still read. I have enough vision in the one eye to be able to do, you know, large print and get by. Um, you know, when I was originally a rabbi and earlier in my life, even as a child, I learned how to read Hebrew itself. And so, you know, doing services is not an issue. Um, uh, I can use enough of my vision to be able to conduct services. That's pretty good. There's something called the Sefer Torah that you use. What is that? I hear it's some sort of sacred scroll. Well, yeah, a Sefer Torah is a little different than a regular Torah. Torah really has two meanings in Judaism. One is all of Jewish learning. But most people, when they talk about Torah, they're only talking about the five books of Moses. And so uh, even back in, in biblical days, these scrolls were extremely expensive. Uh, in today's world, a scroll that's read um, uh, can run starting at about $25,000, and then they go up from there. Well, so individuals are not going to be able to afford them. Jews as a community will come together and pool their funds and get a Torah. But then if, uh, if you're borrowing the Torah one week, I can't read it. And so they developed way back when, even from the time of Ezra, uh, three five hundred BCE, they would come together as a community and read the Torah so that everyone can get the information. Remember, the uh, uh, Torah is where we get how we do our our life, um, where we learn it. So we have to be able to read it. So the the, the um, 
custom developed that the community would come together, somebody would read from the Torah, and then everyone could listen to it and get the information. Uh, and then they developed certain customs around that particular scroll that's read. And so uh, some of the customs include that it must be all organic, right? No metal is part of a safer scroll. And this is the scroll that's read at a community service. So the, the rollers themselves are wood. The parchment uh, is from the uh, uh, skin of a kosher animal. In olden days, it was a sheep or goat. Today, we'll use cow. Uh, even the ink that's used in a regular written scroll uh, is made from gallnuts and honey. So there are certain rules around how to make those scrolls and how to use them. Um, there's some other customs that developed. So one of the customs that developed was it must be read, not memorized. Why? Well, a lot of us used to play as a kid uh, the game telephone, right? You memorize something, tell it to the next person, whisper it in their ear. They whisper it to the next person who whispers it to the next person. You go down the line, eight or ten people. They re-say the story, and it's nowhere near the same story as it started. And so we don't want to memorize it because it would end up changing the scroll. You know, the letters of our scroll, the, the verses of our scroll, are the exact same as it was uh, three or five hundred from three or five hundred BCE. Uh, it doesn't change, so it must be read. Uh, but uh, as an aside, right, the blind and, and visually impaired people, regardless of denomination, are supposed to be considered full members of our community. And there was also, no there was no Torah in Braille. Well, there was none then because when did Braille? start. Uh, the original Braille from Louis Braille in France didn't start till the 1850s. English Braille doesn't come into the fore until the early 1900s. Hebrew Braille doesn't exist until the 1930s. So, you know, Jewish history goes back for thousands of years. Braille itself is new. Now, it's really important to understand Braille isn't its own language. Yes, American Sign Language for the Deaf is its own language, but Braille is simply the um, tactile representation of the language that you're dealing with. So you can have Braille French, Braille German, Braille English, Braille Hebrew. It's still Hebrew. We're not making a new language. The letters are still the Hebrew letters, and that's important in creating a scroll because it must be in Hebrew. But the scroll that I have created is in Hebrew. It's just in Braille instead of in script. Uh, also, because and I'm using the exact same materials that we would use in uh, a, a written scroll. But remember, up to now, yes, since it must be written, must be read, not memorized, could a blind or visually impaired person read at a public reading? Up to now, the answer is no. And again, in Judaism, we take a little bit different tack because when you talk about uh, Islam, it's always led by an imam, a ayatollah, some person in the aristocracy leads services. And not all Christianity, but certainly Catholicism, right? It needs to be a priest or somebody of the aristocracy to lead a service. But in Judaism, anyone can lead a service. 
right? Who received Torah at Sinai? We all did. So anyone has the right to read. And a blind or visually impaired person is supposed to be a full member of our community. But since they couldn't read, could they ever take the honor of doing the reading of a scroll? Could they ever do a bar or bat mitzvah, right? When a, a, a youngster becomes a religious adult, their first act is to read from the scroll. But can a blind or visually impaired person do that? No. So they're really, although legally a full member, they never really had that opportunity. The uh, existence now that we did with this creation of the Braille Hebrew Sefer Torah now allows them full access and full ability to participate in our public service. That's fantastic. How did you create the new Braille Torah? I heard it was very expensive, and it took some time to perfect the process and just took a lot of work to produce it. Yes, yes. Uh, (laughs) uh, This first scroll took about four years to complete. Uh, The main reason is uh, having to deal with all the questions of can it be done? Because when I first started to learn Hebrew Braille as a rabbi, I I asked the question, okay, where in the United States can we find a Braille Sefer Torah? There was none. Uh, I looked around Europe. You know, email is a wonderful thing. Uh, where is there a Braille Sefer Torah? It doesn't exist. Uh, looked around Israel. doesn't exist. Well, why doesn't it exist? Well, everybody started coming back with answers. Well, the first answer was the parchment that you make it on won't take the Braille dot. Well, that's when the scientists and the Jewish person of me uh, jumped up and said, well, is that really the case? So I got some sample pieces of different types of parchment and put in uh, Braille dots, and lo and behold, yeah, it takes it just fine. Thank you. Then I was told, well, you know, you have two rollers. Uh, The parchment gets rolled up on these rollers. It's going to squish the dots, destroy them. Well, it makes sense, but is it so? So I got a hold of what we call a non-kosher scroll, put a bunch of dots throughout the scroll, and then over months, rolled and re-rolled and unrolled and re-rolled. Did it destroy the dots? No. Why? Well, cow parchment is both flexible and tough. It handles and keeps the dots just fine. Thank you. But the issue is then, okay, uh, a scroll needs to be handwritten. You can't have a computer uh, write a scroll and have it accepted for a safer scroll. Uh, By the way, it takes about a year for a scribe to write a say for Torah. Um, So I can't use an embosser because that's using a computer to write the letters. So it has to be done manually and it has to be done without mistakes. So how does one do this in Braille? Braille manually is done with a slate and stylus. But the typical slates, I don't know if you've ever used them, uh, they're easy to make mistakes. There's just a little... um, uh, separation between the dots that you can slide your stylus around on. And if you're doing it with any speed, you're going to be making mistakes. I can't have that on mine. Also, there's a lot of them, right? There's 300,000 letters plus in a, in a scroll. There's uh, some 4,000 dots and one column. 
So how do you do this? Well, the thing that we developed is we said, okay, let's make a slate that is roughly 20 inches by 22 inches instead of your typical, right, two or three by eight or whatever it is, or by 12. So I'm going to only drill the one hole to make the aleph. There's no way of me then when I poke the hole to make a mistake. But to do it, because a Braille uh, dot is only two millimeters in diameter, about a half a millimeter tall, that's small. Uh, How do I make 4,000 of those uh, manually? Well, that you really can't do. Uh, You have to use what's called a CNC machine, which is basically a computerized drill. But that's legal because I'm still making the dots manually. And I'm pre-drilling all the letters on a particular column. So you have this top slate. You have your parchment in between. You have a bottom receiver plate that helps make your dot. And I created um, 239 of those, one for each column of the Torah. Uh, Now, also understand in a slate, I don't know if you or your people are familiar, but when you're making your dot, you're pushing down. So you're really doing it upside down and reversed. So to do this properly, I had to take the Hebrew, convert it to Hebrew Braille. I then had to take the Hebrew Braille, invert it, and make it backwards for each letter in each column. And then do that for each letter in each each column of the Torah. That's what took the four years. But once you have the slate, uh, how many of these columns can we make out of the one slate? Well, thousands. Yes, the slate doesn't go away. You're just poking through into the parchment. So where a regular scribe will take another year to create a second scroll, I can get another scroll out if it was only me in probably about four months. And with help, I can get it out in a couple months. So we can go a lot faster. So it's a fully accessible Torah. What are you going to do so that the word gets out about your Braille Torah so that more blind and visually impaired around the U.S. and the world use it? Uh, Well, again, first of all, one of the issues we faced is unlike regular communities where you have a community of a large number of Jewish people in any one area, uh, the blind and visually impaired are kind of spread out all over. So there's a person here, a person there. They're never going to be able to afford their own scroll. So what we devise is as follows. We're going to make a whole bunch of scrolls and put them in one spot here in Greensburg. And then if somebody in another city wants to use it on any particular week, all they have to do is call me, get a hold of me, and we will mail the uh, uh, a scroll to them for their use. When they're done with it, they can mail it back. Um I've been in touch with a number of synagogues all over the country, a number of blind associations who will begin spreading the word and let them know. Uh, One of the problems we have is there are over 400,000 blind and visually impaired Jews in the United States alone. And now they're all not going to need them, but if only one quarter of 1% needs them, I need 150 scrolls. So we need to start to make these scrolls you know, which takes time, which takes some money. But basically through the synagogues themselves, through her mouth, through the various blind associations that are around, 
They're slowly but surely uh, getting the word. Places like uh, your your blog and things of that nature all are starting to uh, let people know that this now exists. Yeah, we're going to so put that, that we're going to put that Pittsburgh Post Gazette article uh, about you and the Torah on yes. the Speaking Out for the Blind website, speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com, so that more people can learn about it. Right, so they can use it, and that way it's affordable. Yeah. And then people can use it and send it back, and then other people can use it uh, that would like to at any particular point in time. So um, we have put up a website, although the website really right now talks more about the making of the scroll we'll be putting up in the next month, you know, information about how to uh, lend the scroll out. Uh, am I allowed to give that website or is yes, that? Go ahead. Okay. It's www.devarim, D-E-V as in Victor, A-R-I-M as in Mary.org. Uh, so people can go there. They can also see pictures of the scroll if they go there. Um, and there's contact information on how to reach me uh, on the site. Yeah, Excellent. This is great. Rabbi Lenny, Braille Taurus will help our blind and visually impaired listeners fully attend and enjoy Jewish services. Thanks so much for joining us today. Well, thank you so much for the invitation, Brian. Hey, my pleasure. Before we go, listeners, I welcome your comments on this program. Just visit and like me on Facebook at Speaking Out for the Blind or follow me on Twitter at Speak Out Blind or Speak Out for the Blind. You can also check out my website, that's speakingoutfortheblind.weebly.com. More information on today's show is posted there. Just look under list of episodes and show news tab. And my show archive is at speaking-out-for-blind.pinecast.co. That's all for this edition of Speaking Out for the Blind. Thanks for listening, and remember to speak out. The following programming has been made possible in part by the generous support of BITS, Blind Information Technology Specialists. An affiliate of the American Council of the Blind, BITS provides career development for computer professionals. For over 50 years, BITS has been on the forefront of industry, promoting and advocating on information access and technology that improves the quality of life for people who are blind and visually impaired. Learn more about BITS programs and how to become a member by visiting their website at www.bits-acb.org. To sign up for our announcements, send a blank email to radio-announce plus subscribe at acblists.org. That's radio-announce plus subscribe at acblists.org. The American Council of the Blind plays an important role in the daily lives of blind and visually impaired individuals all over the country. Whether it's making products and services more accessible for the blind, advocating for appropriate education for blind students, issuing scholarships to deserving college students, fighting for accessible currency, along with a host of other issues, it takes contributions from all of us. You can help by joining the monthly monetary support program, MMS. It's a great opportunity for members and friends to make sure these efforts continue. What ACB does enhances all of our lives. For more information, go to our website, acb.org, click on the donations link, go to the MMS tab, and enter. Or call 612-332-3242.